and I'm a hot guy. Oh my God. The magic smoke got out. <laughs> the magic smoke. It is like it. the eighth circle of hell. You're just not as hot as Leo. What, what can I say? If I start moving, I'm going to sweat. Switzerland has a secret. It's over to the boss. <laughs> Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 356. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. We're in the Mintcast channel in IRC at irc.spotchat.org. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. This is Leo, and with me today is Joe. Hello. Tony Hughes. Hi, guys. Josh. Hey, how you doing? Moss. Yes, I am. And new regular Mike. Hello. We're recording on Sunday, March 7th, 2021. First up in our wanderings, I've upgraded my ears. Joe fixes everything. Moss gets ready to attack a monster. Tony Hughes takes a walk with tools. Josh is getting Naz tea, and Mike weeps over Wi-Fi woes. Then in the news, Steam Link is on Linux, Magia 8 is out, Brave searches for itself, and some Linux Mint news. In security, LastPass tracks you. And finally, the feedback and a couple suggestions. In my wanderings, not a whole lot has happened over the past few, two, two weeks, fortnight, right? Uh, but I did pick up a set of headphones uh, that I think might be the last set of headphones I buy for the foreseeable future. I did that with the mic. I got the um, the Rode, what is it, pod mic, I think, uh, maybe a year ago. And I don't think I'll ever upgrade it unless it breaks. And then, uh, yeah, so I had to do the, the same thing with the with the headphones. I got a set of ATH M50X with Bluetooth. And these, oh man, uh, it's a nice cross between, uh, you know, your, your standard uh, consumer headphones like Beats and stuff like that, and a studio set, because I still do a lot of editing. I don't edit Midcast anymore. Owen uh, handles all that. But um, when I edit Linux user space, yeah, there's a lot of listening involved. And uh, these are, outside of the bass being a little upfront, uh, they're very flat. It's uh, it's a studio set of cans. I love them for that, though. Yeah, I was going to ask if they were like reference sound or not. Yep, they they're they're studio cans. They're meant for this. They're meant to be used in a studio and for editing and things like that. So that was the biggest reason I got them. It was actually between this and the DT770 Pros, the uh, the 80 ohm version, which are a little harder to drive for like a laptop or a phone or something like that. I mean, you can still get decent sound out of them. Yeah, I haven't seen too many reference quality Bluetooth headphones. Now, so see, that's interesting. This is the, well, okay. You're not getting reference quality when you use Bluetooth. That wasn't my intention for them at all. I use them wired. So, uh, like right, right now, okay. they are wired. I'm not going to use Bluetooth. Uh, I, Bluetooth has been pretty good to me in Linux in general, but um, yeah, I, I certainly don't. I use the Bluetooth for my phone. 
I use it for uh, my phone, actually. <laughs> Think about it. That's like the only thing I use it with. But it's convenient for that, right? I mean, I don't want to have a cable between my phone and my headphones. Uh, so it really gives that. Um, and the other thing uh, about these is that, as I mentioned, the cable is detachable. So you can use them as Bluetooth without having a cable. So you can detach the cable. That was the thing that got me away from the DT770s. As far as reference goes, DT770s are actually, uh, what is it, Bayer Dynamic, I think is the company. Um, those headphones are the standard, the classic. And I mean, if you're looking for what comes out of those headphones is exactly what, what it's going to sound like, then that's, that's really what you want. But it doesn't have a detachable cable. And the extra little sprinkle on that was Bluetooth. So for about the same price, I think uh, these, the, the M50 XBTs were 20 bucks more, but, oh man, uh, it just, th those two features just blew it out of the water for me. And I haven't tested it yet because I haven't listened to 40 hours of Bluetooth audio yet, but uh, supposedly these headphones are supposed to last for 40 hours. Uh, it's lasted for the few hours I've listened, so I'm not complaining. Those are not cheap, Leo. No, they are not. And that's why I said I buy these and I don't buy another one unless they break. You'd better not. Yeah. yeah. Your wife will be on your case. Yeah. I was <laughs> going to ask how much you paid for them because I have the, um, the ATH M50, like the old ones that have oh, the yeah. wire built in. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I got that for like 150 That was probably like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I had a... Amazon had a, has them 20 bucks off for 179 yeah, Ooh, they're yeah, they're one seventy nine uh, for the black ones, but I bought the purple ones. So <laughs> um, those are one ninety nine, I think. But so the the thing the thing that pushed me over to yes, get the purple ones are. is because number one, uh, everything is black. My monitor's black. My laptop's black. My computer is black. My microphone is black. Everything's black. So I'm like a little color would be nice. So I got the purple ones, but I also had leftover from Christmas, mind you. This is three months a, a three month old gift card. Um, 25 bucks. So it made them the same price as the black ones. So I was like, mm, yeah, a little color in my life wouldn't hurt. So I got the purple ones instead. So I do like that. Um, they're really good. I, I really recommend them. If you've got the money to burn and you want a good set of headphones that, uh, will not disappoint. Uh, the only thing I don't like is the, uh, the headphone foam stuff, the, the ear cups. They're made out of like a pleather. And I'm a hot guy, so uh, <laughs> like like a like a warm guy, not Braggart. not a hot guy. Hey, yeah, you know, what can I say? Uh, so like, I'll sweat easily, and yeah, after a couple hours, these these things will leave a little bit of a sweat on me. I wonder if mine are made of a different material because I don't get like that at all with mine. Well, I, I think it's just because I'm hot. You're just natured. not as hot as Leo. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's it, man. Uh, I'm just a hot, hot natured hold. guy. At at 72 degrees, if I start moving. <laughs> I'm going to sweat. So it's, you can also replace the cushions with something a whole lot more breathable. Now, here's the deal. I did that. And, uh, yeah, uh, noise isolation. If you go velour, I bought a, a pair of velour ones to replace these. And, honestly, it's not worth it. The sound isolation is so bad on those that I might as well be using. I have an open mm. set of, uh, what are they called, semi-open where the cups don't fully enclose your, enclose your ear. I use those for editing because my edit sessions are long and I'll start to sweat really badly. So those have velour on them. I don't care if there's sound escapes or anything like that, but on these headphones, I, I can't because it, the microphone will pick it up. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay. So maybe maybe there are some different ones. I saw some hybrid ones that might be okay. But anyway, long story short, I love these headphones. They're fantastic. Then the last thing I did was I had an SSD that I thought died. Uh, I had talked about a couple episodes ago where my uh, VMware machine died, but it didn't. The SSD didn't actually die. I did some testing on it. Seems fine. I'm using it now as a Ventoy stick, essentially, uh, in, uh, in a USB enclosure. And man, it's fast. There's not a single USB drive out on the market today that will even come close to this, what is this, like a seven-year-old SSD. Man, the, the, you actually get USB 3 speeds on this thing. It's fantastic. I love it. We did some compression tests for the Linux innards later on in the show, and uh, that's what I put all of those things on. And it really helped. I could not, I, I cannot express to you how much um, a, like a one terabyte spinning hard drive versus one of these, it's, it's fantastic. And little flash drives just don't, don't even hold a candle to it. So I will say if you've got uh, an extra eight bucks and an SSD sitting around, it's totally worth it to, to buy one of these little, uh, enclosures and slap your SSD in there and use it as a, uh, like X, you know, formatted X fat and just use it for everything. So I love that. But, uh, enough about my stuff, Joe, what have you been up to? I've had some, uh, really bad luck with electronics recently. I was going to mention it earlier when you said I fixed everything. It's more like, no, everything was breaking. No. Yeah. Yeah. I had to go back and uh, refix my MMCX connections on the, on the one mores, the headphones again, which means that I didn't do as good a job as I thought I did last time. And I, I thought it looked really good last time when should have lasted a while. I kind of wish that the connector itself had some kind of tension reliever in it. Because, yeah, that would help a little bit. Really, the only thing kind of holding it in place on the inside right now is hot glue to prevent just pulling it out whenever you uh, disconnect. I had a lot of trouble getting the last Anchor sound core put together. And then once again, like, like the one before it, it just wouldn't charge. I could go into the whole sort of tale of broken ribbon, ribbon cables and screws popping out of the mountings. But it just annoys me. So... In the end, of the four of the Anchor Sound Cores that I got, um, I was only able to get one of them working properly, and I'm happy with that one, but I I think I'm going to have to mark that whole product line as a no-go, at least for me. Um, I took the custom-made cables off the one that um, wouldn't charge and put it onto one of the HBS 770s that I have sitting in reserve. I may do a few more of the 770s since I got extra parts right now just for the fun of it. Uh, but I am looking for alternatives since I don't think they're making the 770s anymore. And looking at eBay, it's getting a little bit harder to order them in bulk. And they're better than the 780s. And I'm definitely not seeing many of the 750s, but the 750s work pretty well too. Although you can find generic 750s. I ordered a pair of broken Samsung Level U headphones with active noise canceling because I really want to try out the active noise canceling on a pair of in-ears. It it requires a solvent to break down the glue in order to take it apart properly. Basically, just like isopropyl alcohol will do it. And also got a really cheap set of iHome medallion headsets that my wife was able to find for $5 at um, a bookstore. I, I got two of them. They're in new condition, fresh out of the box. Um, I think one of them has Iron Man on it, and the other one has Captain America. Uh, But I'm going to mod them anyway, even though they're brand new. Um, I don't think it's going to get much battery life for now. I want to modify it so that it'll sit on the collar without moving, and so that it can also use the one mores. 
which should improve sound quality. And I'm thinking about printing a new case for it and giving it a larger battery, or at least a new back case. But I'll, I'll need to check where the microphone is on it. And if it's on the back, I'm going to have to get creative with how I situate the battery. But that'll leave the front so that the buttons can still be used without me having to completely redesign that as well. They do come apart really easy, so they should be pretty easy to work on. I did get the level use. Um, I was able to get it taken apart with minimal damage to the casing, anything like that, you know, where you're prying it apart. You gotta be really careful and take your time. Um, I probably wouldn't have taken it apart at all, uh, except that instead of like a bad side on a headset like you normally get, it had a bad battery. So I had to take it apart to get to the battery. But I was able to use one of the batteries from the anchors, which is a little smaller, but the in order to buy like a new battery for the level U, it was going to cost me 30-ish dollars, and I didn't want to pay that much, at least not right now. Um, I didn't do the MMCX mod, and I won't, because the call quality was terrible. Um, overall, I wasn't impressed with the top end volume. It got a really shaky sound, but that might have been fixed by the MMCX. What really killed it for me was the fact that um, the mic was terrible. I don't know if I tugged it when I was taking it apart. I also saw how to fix the mic. It's not a simple replacement. You also need to put a resistor in place, and I'm not sure what size resistor because the only video that I could find on it was in a language that I don't understand. And you also have to pry the side apart in order to get to the mic. So I'd be gluing the whole thing back together again. And that's just, it's going to be more hassle than it's worth in the end, trying to keep that thing running properly. Though Samsung level use for me. Um, I'm thinking about resituating my tablets and seeing if I can get some more use out of them. I'm probably going to sell the 7140. And uh, I may use the 7130 as a, bedroom computer. I did spin both of those back up to make sure the batteries are still good and both updated easily with no issues. Even I now think that the 7130 is getting a bit long in the tooth, but I've yet to find a proper affordable tablet replacement that can run Linux, has a decent screen, and fast processing. Kind of given up on my other requirement was, uh, which used to be a spare battery in the keyboard, for longer life. You don't seem to find that anymore. Um, I did look through the Dell 7200 shows quite a bit of promise, but the price is in the $400 range. Very similar. The 3290, or no, not the 3290, the 5290 is sitting in the 300, 350, 400 range, depending on which one you get. I was able to order the Dell Latitude 5285. I got I thought I got lucky and ordered one for 120 and uh, it should have been an easy fix with a bad display cable, which is what the description said was wrong with it. Turned out it had a lot more wrong with it, including the USB points to the point where one of the times that I hooked it up, the magic smoke got out. So um, <laughs> the magic smoke. I love it. And it's like got from a run on smoke, Leo, you know that it's, it's yeah. got a distinct smell too, doesn't it? Oh, oh, yes. Very lovely smell. Um, so I thought I had wasted $120, but there's plenty of usable parts in there. And I did message the seller. And the first thing he said was that um, I, I purchased it as is. So, but then like a day later, he um, refunded me the money anyway. So I got my money back for that. 
But I, I don't know if he wants me to send it back or not. Because usually what happens is, is they say, okay, we accept the refund, send us this back, and then once we get it, we'll send you the money. But no, refund accepted, sent me the money after telling me that they weren't going to. I do have to say, though, for the few, like, the little time that it was running, it seemed to run Linux well. Um, everything loaded up, networking worked fine. Uh, there were lines in the screen at the time, but whatever. Um, that would have been fixed by the $10 part that I ordered that was the replacement cable. Um, the only issue that I saw was the touchscreen was inverted to the screen rotation. But that should not have been a difficult fix. That's just a bit of scripting to get that fixed. Everybody's heard me talk about BT Sync before, but it's been acting up again. Uh, basically, it quit syncing in the background, quiet failure, don't know what was actually wrong. Um, I had to delete my shares and recreate them a couple of times to get things working again. So I'm thinking I may need to find a different syncing solution. Just SSHFS and rsync to like four computers. Yeah, I could do that, <laughs> but the problem is, is that my phone doesn't do rsync. Ah, uh, oh, actually, are you sure? Because oh, you know, I'm sure that if I got down to the nitty gritty, had Termux running in the background uh -huh. all the time, uh -huh. I, I could do something with rsync. Yeah, well, you know, but... and and I, I hate to, uh, I mean, have you set up a whole another server or something or another? But I mean, Nextcloud does syncing too. I was going to say ah. that I was going to try, or I was thinking about trying Nextcloud. It's worth it. If the, it's totally uh, worth it. Go do it. Setup, was, setup is as difficult as it used to be. Okay. Uh, on like the when Nextcloud first started. I understand that there's a Docker image, but then do I still have to do all the Apache uh, setup in the background for larger files and things like that? Let me, let me, just, let me just tell you this. Use Snap. It is way easier to deal with. I've got, uh, I mean, I wrote, I wrote a how-to a long time ago, and it has served me well because I'll, I'll throw away Nextcloud because I'm like, ah, whatever. I finally settled on it, and I used the same documentation I wrote myself years ago to, to reset it back up. So things have not changed, and I would assume well, that things won't change. Uh, yeah, here, I'll, I'll put them in the show notes, uh, but I'll give them. It's at my website at leojavis.org. Well, then throw me a link at that. <laughs> yeah, I got you, man. Um, I do. Uh, I used to do all of my storage on an external uh, hard drive. I, I've since started using an internal four terabyte drive, and uh, I I use rsync to copy all the junk from that drive to an external drive so that I can uh, I can have a backup and all that. So uh, let me see. BT Sync. I put it under your uh, your thing. Yeah, I, I, I will. Take a look at it during my quiet times. Yeah, totally easy to do. It's way easier than you are thinking. I'll tell you that for sure. Cool. Okay. Well, last thing. Um, I still haven't done much 3D printing lately, but with the warmer temperatures, I did print another adapter for Olympic weights to standard bar, uh, which allows me to greatly increase the weights for my deadlifts and my curls and a lot of my back exercises, which I, I have found... Very nice. So it's a really simple, like, what, um, 1.25 inch to 2 inch uh, adapter. And I'm loving it. I'm probably going to print out two more so I can um, use the 35s along with the 25s on my standard bar that I use for lifting straight off the floor. And yeah, that's really been it for me. Boss, what have you been up to? 
I have installed Magia 8. I installed the Plasma version on the Kudu. The installer was more involved than most, but was understandable even to me, although it needed to be more graphical and use a larger font. I installed Magia 8 XFCE on the Inspiron, the same steps but with better graphics and fonts. It doesn't feel Mandrake-level user-friendly, but it appears to be what I'm reviewing for episode 21 of Distrohopper's Digest. I have also grabbed Amabuntus and RoboLinux for further evaluation. So uh, on Magia, um, what, what's, its, what's its claim to fame? Why, why would anybody want Magia? It is one of the extensions of uh, Mandriva. The, okay. Ur- the European non-Russian developers are behind it. Okay, so uh, this is probably an RPM-based distribution. Um, it is. So, what? Why would I want it? Any any particular reason? Like, is is there some? Well, listen to episode to twenty-one of Distro Hopper's oh, Digest, and you'll find I see, out. I see what you're doing. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, I I really like Open Mandriva best of the remnants. Although you and I both have experience with PC Linux OS, but that's a little more of a fork. Uh, speaking of distros, Distro Hopper's Digest episode 18 was at 718 downloads today, and episode 19 leaped ahead of it with 721. We had a lot of fun doing episode 20, which is already at 424 downloads, and I'm already at work on the script for 21. Listener and old friend Firecat sent me a Series 5 YubiKey. He says it does not have NFC, and he apparently got it with a subscription to Wired Magazine. I have had a lot of adventures with this as it did not work after setting it up as 2FA on Bitwarden. Eventually, I somehow tricked Bitwarden into letting me delete that 2FA feature and set up another one. This is working. I'm a little concerned that it did not work the first time I tried to use it for 2FA and a little concerned that I managed to defeat the security to fix it. I got all the recovery information saved. I printed it out and deleted the text file and hopefully we'll find a memorable safe place for the printout. I'm still having trouble deciding what to do with it, as most of the uses suggested don't really tell me what they do or what they're for, in other in words, I understand. Yet even if I don't figure it out, I'm extremely grateful for the gift. We've done more work on It's Moth, adding articles, graphics, and people, with Dale Miracle being added to the team, and one or two others talking to me about future articles. We also have come to an agreement to share articles with Full Circle Magazine, and to publish our articles under the same CC slash BY SA license. That's uh, common something share alike. Creative Commons, yeah. And, Creative and this Commons, is, that's it. Yeah, yeah, this basically means you got to attribute who it, um, who it came from. And if you make changes, you have to license it under the same license. And Dylan is going back over our site to attach the license info to our articles. Thank you, Dylan. Speaking of its moss, it's time to get your votes in on Distro Madness Round 2. Voting will close this Friday before moving on to Round 3. We're getting a lot of participation in this fun little diversion. We'd like to encourage you to become a member of the site. We have some plans in the works for making additional features for members only, and membership is free. My wife's new HP Zia 800 came in, and it is a monstrous thing of beauty. The keyboard seller sent the wrong keyboard, but the right one got here Friday. The seller did not ask for the other keyboard to be returned, so if anyone wants a Microsoft Sculpt keyboard without the mouse and 10 keypad, which are usually boxed with it, and is willing to pay the postage, I have one. We have received the Wi-Fi card. As soon as I'm feeling up to it, I will install the Wi-Fi card and plug things in. It came with Windows 10 on it, and she'll be dual-booting it to Mint, or rather, dual-booting to Windows with Mint Primary. 
She talked to me last night and saying that she's had a whole lot fewer problems with Mint than she ever had with Windows. The, the idea is we need this computer for her to learn, learn computer graphics on, and most of the schools will either have Windows or Mac. You didn't do the Windows as you've got it in the show notes. So we could all <laughs> that cringe. is in the show notes for every distro hopper's digest, and you never hear me say it that way, do Hang you? Hang on. You, do you also put M dollar sign? No, you didn't. M dollar sign Windows. <laughs> <laughs> I do that when I'm mentioning uh, MS Office. M dollar office, yeah. Anyhow, I have been having a bit of a rough time with my mother's internment, work as a substitute teacher being intermittent at best and other things, but I'll be okay. And Dresden is still plugging along in book 10, chapter 20. So where are we with you, Tony? So like you said earlier on, we recorded the latest uh, episode of Distro Hopper's Digest with Dale. This was a one-hour-long show after the edit, so as we're having three hosts in a new section, uh, we've expanded a little, and the time taken to do it is uh, getting a bit longer. But we started it earlier for you. We did. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing I'm not doing a regular review anymore, as due to my health issues. I am concentrating on the post-production side of the show. I will be, I'll still be there every uh, episode, hopefully. Uh, keep everyone in tra- uh, on track. Or complain about okay. it getting off track. Yeah, yeah, or complain about getting off track. <laughs> <laughs> I did a bit of tech buying this week, but it wasn't computer-related. Uh, Aldi in the UK did a sale of tools last week, and I picked up a couple of 10-watt LED battery portable workshop lights which can also be used as power banks so you can take them on the road as well uh i also got a set of digital calipers which only cost me uh, eight quid uh which is around eleven dollars twenty or something uh, on the conversion at the time and uh, i saw them at our local big box hardware store they're around 20 quid so that was a good deal as well yeah that's a good price for calipers yeah, and then they're a nice set. They are, they're obviously Chinese-made. Uh, it says so on the box, but uh, they've been made to a good quality. Yeah, really good ones. Uh, I had to buy a new LED bulb for my workshop stroke office as the old one just stopped working. When I pulled it out, it was really hot, so obviously it was it'd been ready to pop for a while. But the replacement uh, seems a lot brighter, so uh, maybe the other one had been on the way out, like I say, for a while and started to dim, or just that the new one's a bit more efficient and uh, emitting a bit more light. But yeah, my office seems a lot brighter these days. During lockdown, I've been um, walking quite a lot. I uh, I decided I was going to try and get 5,000 steps or more every day while lockdown happened because I can't go to the gym and all that because all the gyms here in the UK are are closed and I've been for most of lockdown. I've gradually increased my level of walking and I'm now regularly getting up 7,000, 8,000 steps. So last Monday, myself and my good lady decided to uh, do a long walk along the Blackpool Prom from South Shore, where we live, right the way through to Cleveland's, which is about eight miles away. Considering that a few years ago I wasn't able to walk from the lounge to the kitchen, which is about 10 steps, due to, uh, well, first I had a stroke and then I got a really bad 
dose of arthritis, which uh, took me a while to get over. My final tally for that day was just under 21,000 steps, uh, getting getting fit uh, good, and it's helping keep the arthritis controlled. So I have more go, uh, good days than bad days at the moment. Talking last week to the guys, and I was looking at uh, a Dell 9th generation i7 XPS 15 uh, on the Dell website. They were flogging off some uh, of their older kit, a, a redu- reduction, but I ended up missing out on it because I didn't drop the dime on it early enough. So I'm now looking at an Entraware 17-inch Hybris, uh, which for the price with 32 gig of RAM is less than a 1,000 quid, which is really good. I'd add my own PCI uh, Express NVMe M.2 card because uh, the one that they're selling on the site is about double the price that you can buy a really good um, uh, one on uh, Amazon for. So uh, I'd probably do that upgrade myself. Same with the SSD. I've just gone for the, you know, looking at the price, uh, the 240 stock one. When you look at their upgrade prices, it's not worth doing it. You might just wait. Well, do you upgrade yourself by buying whatever you want? And I'm not sponsored by Entraware, but there is a link in the show notes not if yet. you want to go and check it out. <laughs> not yeah, yet. all 100 UK <laughs> listeners. Uh... <laughs> there are a few shows sponsored by Entraware. <laughs> Most of them are anyway, based yeah. in the UK, but yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, anyway, that's me for this uh, fortnight. Uh, so, Josh, what have you been up to? Uh, thanks, Tony. Um, well, I can officially say that Crowbar Kernel Panic has a website. Um, you can search for um, Crowbar Kernel Panic, all one word, dot fireside dot FM, and uh, that'll bring you to the website. And you can also now search for it on Spotify, which uh, I found that the first episode is there Yay. and ready to listen to. Should be everywhere, yeah. I mean, uh... Uh, I I don't know because Bo said he's looking on um, iTunes and he didn't tell me if he found it or not, and I can't find it on my podcatcher, but uh, Spotify definitely had it. Interesting. Oh, what what podcatcher do you use? I use Pocket Casts. Are those the same people that do podcast addicts, or is that a different thing? No, different thing. Different. Okay. thing. Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll uh, yeah. well while you're talking about it, I'll see if I can find it on iTunes. That might be uh, easy to do. Yeah, Bo said he was going to look, but he never got back to uh, me if he found it or not. Yeah, well, the, the 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 reason I ask is because the whole reason that you pay Fireside to handle all your uh, stuff is because they handle that. You don't have right. to wonder if it's on one of these things. It should be on the things. That's that's what you pay for. Oh, yeah. okay. See, I didn't know what Fireside was, actually. Okay, well, now that I know that, it should be everywhere. Get your act together. No, just kidding. <laughs> I also upgraded my uh, CPU from a Ryzen 5 2600 to a Ryzen 7 5800X, which surprisingly has totally changed my Linux gaming experience. Like, I was not expecting this to change my gaming experience. I was just hoping to get... Well, originally I was hoping to get a new graphics card, but the graphics card market is crap right now and you can't buy anything. So I said, you know, I'll get a CPU. I went to Micro Center for the first time, which was really cool. I never been there. So it was like a uh, geek paradise. But uh, anyway, yeah, I got the 5800X and I brought it home, installed it. Everything went smooth. Now I'm getting no stuttering in any of my games that I've tested so far. And I, in Elder Scrolls Online, 
where I used to be getting about 35 frames per second, I am now getting above 80 frames per second. Yeah, it helped a lot. I can't believe how much it actually did help um, my gaming. But with Linux, obviously, there's a little bit of overhead with the CPU, especially where it has to translate things. So I can see exactly where that would be um, an issue having a lower end uh, CPU like I did. What were you coming from? Uh, the 2600 um, uh, Ryzen 5. So that was okay. a six core um, um, Zen Plus, I guess it would be. Um, as far as as far as I can tell, on um, one of the sites I looked at, it's the fifty eight hundred X is about just about double the performance of my old uh, processor in um, multi core and probably like three fourths of the more more power than um, my old one with single core. So it, yeah, it's a it's a big difference. <laughs> I also noticed that my computer seems to boot faster as well with this processor. I'm not sure why that would be, but it seems to do that as well. Um, anyway, also, I actually installed a TrueNAS on my old one of my old laptops to uh, see how it goes, and I bought a uh, hard drive enclosure that can support uh, four drives, and Dale uh, sent me four of his old drives that he wasn't using anymore. What and a nice guy. Yeah, I know. He got Dale's he got, incredible. Yeah, he's yeah. awesome. He got uh he got two I think two four terabyte drives he got and he's gonna add more later, but he figured he'd send me the old uh one terabytes that he had. Uh yeah, I have that set up and everything was smooth. It, I could log on to it and everything, but I couldn't get um sharing to work with uh Samba. I tried everything, I did everything normal, I created a user and everything like that, and it just wouldn't connect. So I gave up on it, came back, tried to reconnect, and it worked. I have no idea. I didn't change anything. It just mounted on my system, and now it works. So, Oh, you know what the problem is there? What? It's a Microsoft protocol. Mm, I know. <laughs> no, it's, well, I tried... it's the Linux rewrite of it. So, I mean, it's not really Microsoft. Yeah. But, I mean, I've, right. I've, I've circuit had... between keyboard and chair? Uh, well, <laughs> I've had nothing but trouble ever with SIFs and SMB in general. And I think... This is the biggest reason why I just dropped it. I use um, I use SSHFS for my Linux yeah. machines, and I use uh, just uh, SFTP for my Windows machines. Honestly, everything works. It just works. You never have to wonder if on the other side, if the service needs to be restarted or anything like that. It just, right. all of it just works. But well, I, mean, I don't know. I don't think that TrueNAS has SFTP, at least on the GUI part of it, on the... Um, right. I, I didn't see it. It has NFS, and I did try that, but that didn't work at all. So yeah, yeah, and well, I mean, I dropped I dropped the appliance altogether um, mm -hmm. to just so that I could do this, and because it's the same way in Open Media Vault, which are the guys that didn't like where FreeNAS was going, so they split off and just did it on Debian. Right. Um, I used that for I don't know two three years, and it was time to upgrade, and I was like, well, let me just do it on Ubuntu and see what happens, and yeah, I fell in love with SSH. SFTP and SSHFS. Yeah, I, I might um, end up getting rid of uh, TrueNAS and actually just installing Debian on it. The only reason why I went with TrueNAS is because the drives that Dale sent me are ZFS, so I figured TrueNAS would have the most up-to-date currently of ZFS, uh, oh, open yeah. ZFS, I should say. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah so for sure. That's the only reason, but I might switch over to Debian and see if I can maybe get the newest open ZFS on that. I don't know. I, I was reading a little bit about it and it's, it's a little confusing on how to get it. 
I know says, a bunch says of the guy it. that loves butter FS. What happened? Well, uh, the, okay, I still have that on my main system, but I'm just trying it out. I just wanted to see how it is because I, the only experience I've had with ZFS is I tried to install Ubuntu on ZFS. Yeah, when it first came out, it was 19, 1910. It uh, it was really slow, and I added drives and made made another pool with separate drives, not the boot drive, and it was still really, really slow. So Interesting. I, uh, I kind of gave it up. And then I went to ButterFS, and I was like, well, I don't need to worry about anything with this. And it was just as fast, and I could yeah. uh, put it on the boot drive and everything. So so I might end up going to that. But since the drives were already ZFS, I figured I would do this just to get the data off of them. And then I'll see where it goes from there. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, let me know how much you like ZFS. It might you, This might be the thing that converts you. Eh, I don't know. It's just no? it, it, with, well, if I use BSD... That's fine because it's in the kernel. Everything's good, whatever. Right. But with but with Linux, it's a it's a whole DKMS module, and I know people say it doesn't break, but if it did break, you got a whole problem. So yeah, really. Uh, I I just don't want to have that issue. That's that's the only thing that's keeping me from ZFS. I probably would have already been on ZFS and not even did ButterFS if it was in the kernel and it worked and everything you know supported it. But that's just my only concern about it. Yeah, exactly. I got you. So, uh, yep, that was about it for me. So, Mike, um, I guess it's up to you. Mike, Mike, are you there? Uh, all right, my time. Yay, uh, let's he's see, there. My, my last two weeks have been marred primarily by Wi-Fi woes. Uh, it started about two weeks ago. It was actually the day that we recorded the last show. I was noticing that my uh, download speeds were just atrocious. Uh, I was running speed test after speed test, and I was getting like something around like five or six megabits per second down, uh, but still thirty to thirty-five up, which was really strange to me. Just like I do for pretty much every problem in my life, I immediately blamed my ISP, called them up a bunch, reset my router and whatnot. Eventually, after about an hour or so, I realized that it's not them because all the other devices in my house were just fine getting the. The typical 400 to, uh, 430 to 500 down, and it was just one particular machine that it was affecting. I devoted myself probably for about 10 days after that to just trying to figure out this Wi-Fi issue. I, I tried absolutely everything I could think of. The signal strength on my uh, uh, from my router was fine, was perfect. No packet loss whatsoever. I completely got rid of Network Manager and reinstalled it. I changed the kernel. I changed the kernel series. Eventually, none of this was working. So eventually, I tried booting up a live USB. And when I did that, everything was perfect again. So I thought, okay, great. I must have just done something at, at some point that, that messed up a configuration or a setting. And the ultimate slap in the face, I went back and did a time shift restore, which did absolutely nothing for me. I don't know if you guys have a lot of experience using a machine whose upload speed is significantly faster than the download speeds. But oh my God, it is like the eighth circle of hell. <laughs> it's that, that good, huh? For those of you who believe in hell. All right. <laughs> and if you don't, it's, it's the equivalent to water torture. It's, it's something that at first it really doesn't bother you, but as the hours go by and the days go by, it becomes maddening. On the plus side, though, I, I found that my neighbors are really un unlikely to call the police on anything if they haven't called on me this past week, shouting and screaming and swearing and whatnot. So, 
But uh, ultimately, I, uh, I ended up waving the white flag. I could not figure it out. I asked for assistance. Nobody else could figure it out either. So I just... Uh, Nuke and pay. That's exactly it. <laughs> uh, and it's for something like that, it's, uh, you know, my personal data loss isn't a huge deal because I have just backup on backup of all my personal files. The thing that really hurts when I do a nuke and pave is having to get my configurations set again. And I kind of hate that and re-downloading the packages that I had and just kind of tweaking everything. More than most people here, I understand that completely. <laughs> that's, that's why I do like an image backup every month of my whole system so that I can always go back just one month and just re-image the whole thing and see if that fixes anything. Rescuezilla. Yeah, RescueZilla, yeah. I haven't got it to work yet, Leo, but I'm working on it. And I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of RescueZilla, and I actually forgot to mention that RescueZilla, when I went back, did not solve the problem. And my last, oh. uh, my <laughs> last image was from about, uh, I would say, probably two weeks prior to when I first noticed the issues. Wow, so this, this issue may have just been there the whole time. Honestly, I think it's the hardware, because I've, ah. I've had multiple problems with this computer um, kind of over the last year or so, and it's... Uh, I don't know. I, I contacted the manufacturer. They they claim it's nothing to do with with their issues, but I, I, I bet it's probably a firmware issue because they had they had just updated the firmware uh, maybe a week prior to me me, uh, me having this issue. Ah, oh, so can you Have roll you back checked the firmware? Their forums, do you think? their user forums, see if they anyone else is having the problem. They don't have user forums, unfortunately. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I, uh, it, sorry. No, I noticed that um, sometimes with the USB stick. Everything will work fine. There'll be nothing wrong with it. I mean, nothing at all. You'll install the system, turn it on, no Wi-Fi. Or it connects and it's like slow or, or something is just wrong with the system. But you put the stick back in and everything works fine. I have no idea what causes that, but I've had that happen several times with multiple distros. It's, it's so horrible. It's, there's, I, I just, there's nothing more maddening than incredibly slow Wi-Fi, and you just cannot figure it out for the life of you. So I really was beating my head against the wall for days over that. But like I said, I just gave up and decided to move on with my life. Aside from that, in better news, though, I'm getting a Dell XPS, the developer edition, actually. What? Yeah, so my work is uh, switching over to Dell machines. I guess uh, Dell is going to be a vendor of ours. Actually, I don't, I don't really know if I should tell this story, but nah, it's all right. If anybody from my work tell hears it, it. Tell it. This isn't me talking, <laughs> so don't worry about it, guys at work. So the uh, young lady who does the requisitioning for the machines, uh, apparently she really knows nothing about Linux, probably. Uh, it's only myself and two other people in the office who use Linux, and everybody else uses Windows. So I guess when she was going through their, uh, their website, the Dell website, to uh, order these machines... She couldn't find a configuration that ha had Linux on it, except for the developer edition. So everybody else in the company is getting the standard base model, uh, eight gigabyte Dell XPS 13s, and me and two other people are getting the fancy, shiny developer editions. Ah, uh, what a day to use Linux, right? It was nice, and I had to—I mean, I had to play it off a little bit because she she called me up a little panicked and she said, "Oh." I'm so sorry. I, I tried as hard as I could, but I have to get you a different machine than everybody else because they just didn't offer Linux on the machine that we had everybody else get. And I said, oh. Aww. That's like music to my ears right there. I'll make do. It'll be okay. Right, yeah. How much? So, so what, kind of this, what kind of specs are in that XPS? So I'm gonna, the one I'm going to have is going to have the uh, 11th Gen uh, i7 Intel processor. It's going to have 16 gigabytes of RAM and the uh, SSD, I believe, was 
500 or 500 ish. Man, you gotta, you gotta walk into work as soon as you get that laptop and be like, you know, this isn't, this isn't ideal, but I'll, I'll be okay. Thank you for all the hard work that you did looking for this. (laughs) Yeah. I'll I'll put a little glycerin in my eyes to make it look like I'm tearing up and I just, I, I hate this thing so much, but I'm doing it for you. That kind of thing, but uh, don't overdo it or they'll take it away from you. The one downside to this, though, is that I'm a very obsessive person, especially over something that I definitely want. So I've been on the the order status page on the Dell website at least 15 or 16 times refreshing this thing, and it has not moved in the last 10 days. Apparently, they're having some kind of a shortage at Dell on the uh, the i7 processors, so I'm having to wait for that. Which is really crazy. Uh, it's really driving me crazy. So, Dell, if you're listening to this, I'm on a podcast now. And Leo says that that basically makes me a celebrity akin to George Clooney. It's true. Give me a little Hollywood uh, treatment here and speed this process up for me, please. You heard him. You heard him, Dell. All right. Get, get to work. <laughs> but aside from that, I've just uh, been playing a lot of Nintendo 64 the last week. I, I dusted off Banjo-Kazooie. Not sure if, uh, if you ever played that one, Joe. Nope. That, that's the one that my wife is obsessed with. She loves Banjo-Kazooie. Yep. Oh, yeah. I love that game. I've been playing it since I was about probably 16 or so. And uh, I'd really like to get my hands on Banjo-Tooie, which was the sequel. But I think that thing goes for over $200, I believe. Wow. Uh, just loose, even without a box or instruction manual or anything like that. So unlikely that I'll be purchasing that anytime soon. But uh, that's been about it for my uh, last two weeks. All right, well, then uh, we'll head down to the news. So like clockwork, Linux Mint has released another monthly update. This is coming off of the heels. We, we actually had Linux Mint news uh, the past three episodes, which is not normal. Last episode, we were talking about... Uh, Clem learning that there are way too many people on on Linux in general, but his focus was on Linux Mint, uh, that just don't do updates. Um, and through some conversations, I, I, I go back and, you know, the only real public stats that are out there are from uh, Snapcraft, right? So Snap. And there are quite a few people on uh, uh, to kind of drive the point home, you can see that there are folks on Linux Mint 17 and 18. Some some applications like Telegram is a very popular one to be used on real really old machines. Uh, you saw like Ubuntu 17.10. You saw and and that's been what out of uh, end of life for a long long time. Three or coming up on three years now, maybe four years, and yet it still shows up in the stats. Well, pretty far down there, but same with Linux Mint and everything else. So the problem is pretty pervasive. And the the article that we went over last time was really just a lament to that. And he had uh, Clem had mentioned that in the next blog post, we would talk about what was going to happen about all of that. So that's the main topic, I think, in this thing. Or at least it's the main topic that everybody that likes to hate on Mint ran with. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. You, oh, I don't oh, know yeah. how many articles I've seen of Linux Mint turning into Microsoft Windows by forcing you to install updates whenever they feel like it, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's not what Clem said, people. No, nope, it's not. Nope. 
that's not. <laughs> so because of all of this, I want everybody to know exactly what Clem said. So I want to read it. It's, uh, it's, it's only a couple of paragraphs, but all of the juicy bits are here. And when you read one of those articles that's the sky is falling, Linux Mint's going to be dead, uh, you, can, you can at least know what Clem said. So he says, we started working on improvements for the update manager in this month. In the next release, the manager won't just look for available updates. It will also keep track of particular metrics and be able to detect cases where updates are overlooked. Some of these metrics are when the last time updates were applied, when was the last time packages were upgraded on the system, for how many days has a particular update been shown, etc. In some cases, the update manager will be able to remind you to apply updates. And here is the statement right here that I think people's heads exploded over. In a few of them, it might even insist. We don't want it to be dumb and get in your way, though. It's here to help. If you're handling things your way. Now, here is the rebuttal to everybody's long-winded posts about how Linux Mint's going to burst into flames. He says, if you are handling things your way, it will detect smart patterns and usages. Further... It will also be configurable and let you change the way it's set up. So he goes on to say, we have key principles at Linux Mint. One of them, and this is important, one of them is that this is your computer, not ours. We also have many use cases in mind and don't want to make Linux Mint harder to use for any of them. We're still forming strategies and deciding when and how the manager should make itself more visible. So it's too soon to speak about these aspects and get into the details which probably interests you the most here. So far, we worked on making the manager smarter and giving it more information and more metrics to look at. What are y'all's first impressions about this? It sounds quite sensible to me. To, I think, I suppose the ones that they're probably going to insist on will be the really severe security bugs. Right. And they'll probably explain it some way in the update manager why why they want you to update this particular one because it's a severe security bug and if you don't you're putting your computer at risk right and you know i think they already do that i mean there's already a change log in there and it tells you exactly what's going to happen when you apply a specific update but well i mean yeah let let me let me let everybody else get in here what what do y'all think i I wonder if maybe they're going to start doing for something very very old like maybe eol mint 17 or whatnot Maybe they'll start putting a desktop notification up to kind of remind you and say, hey, it's time to upgrade your distro. It's, you know, you're really out of date now and you're not receiving security updates. Maybe to kind of throw it more in your face to make you aware of the fact that you really need to upgrade now. Yeah, I forgot what he said in the last uh, in the last post, but it was like um, frustration wear or something like that, where where like it'll frustrate you. Right. I mean, it keeps popping up. It's like, hey, you're on an end of life thing. It's not getting updates anymore. You're basically broken and, and unsecure upgrade. And so that it's just going to nag you, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think for people on end-of-life software, that's a small price to pay to, you know, continue to use that software that is quite obviously not a great piece of software to be using at this point because it's going to be unsecure forever now. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, and for those people using uh, end-of-life software because there's a particular program, but they're not, they, know, they know about the security risks, so they use that they use that OS offline, they're not going to get this nagging because they're not going to be updating the update manager. Right. So they're not going to get that nagging anyway. It's only people that are online with an unsecure operating system. Yeah, and and I think it is, it is, it is as important 
to read the whole insist line, right? But it's even more important to, to read that line that I emphasized, which is it will also be configurable. To me, that sounds like you'll be able to turn it off, like all together. Yeah. If you do not want it to ever nag you ever about anything, you can go in and turn it off. But by default, people don't. And so the default is going to be, hey, you should update. Hey, you should update. Hey, there's this thing that's going to blow up your machine if you're not careful. So you should probably update. And even if they didn't provide that option, this is Linux. So if you really wanted to, you could go in and shut down the update manager and do updates manually. Right. Or install a different update manager if you really wanted to. Yeah. Or, or and here's the big one, you can find another distro that doesn't do that. <laughs> I mean, you, you absolutely can. But, uh, you know, honestly, but, I'm, I'm partial to Mint, though. But if you do find another distro that doesn't do that, realize you're going to be updating when you install this new distro. <laughs> yeah. You get all the things you don't want. Yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's, I've seen about a half dozen articles, uh, you know, directly saying Linux Mint is going to turn into Windows. And I just don't understand it. I don't get it. It's fear-mongering. And I don't know why they didn't read the next sentence. The literal, actual next sentence starts to tell you exactly why they're not going to do what everybody's saying they're more going to do. More views for more views. Well, I, I know. Yeah, it's not clickbait, that, is yeah. it? You can't, you can't get people really worked up and watching your video. Yeah, and I think <laughs> a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the reason why it works is because it's Linux Mint. And, man, anytime Linux Mint steps out of line, out of the... Well, this is the way Ubuntu does it, but this is the way as soon as Linux Mint does something different, everybody jumps on the bandwagon of, oh, well, Linux Mint sucks. And it's like, but I like it this way. <laughs> it's fine this way. I don't see why, um, why, why it's uh, necessarily a bad thing or why the sky is falling. But, man, you wouldn't get that vibe from the articles. And since you mentioned Ubuntu, I mean, Ubuntu is really annoying with their updates because if you ever, when you, when you get the little notification that you have updates available, if you hit remind me later, it'll literally remind you like 30 minutes later. It doesn't give you <laughs> any time to <laughs> digest it at all. Yeah, and uh, I think one of the other things was uh, Popey. Uh, Alan Pope wrote a, uh, a blog post. I, I don't know if it was necessarily in favor of Linux Mint, but it was in favor of updating and nagging in general because it's a good idea because people that don't necessarily pay attention to their updates you know don't pay attention to their updates so a little message saying hey click the button is 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 nice it's good i was going to say the, the when linux i'm i'm running 19.3 on my uh, main tower at the moment and when that's end of life there's a piece of software that is no longer available uh, it's been upgraded a couple of times, and it doesn't quite do what I want it to uh -huh. do. So I'm probably going to keep 19.3 on the hard drive, but take it off the internet yeah. and, and and install whatever is the latest mint at the time. It'll probably be 21 by then. Well, when you're driving that one, the wheels don't fall off till 2023. So you've got plenty of time to... That's what yeah. I'm saying. Uh, so, you know, it'll either be 21 or 22 when I've actually got to upgrade. Exactly. 
I'll just use that for that particular piece of software. Everything else will get transferred onto the other machine. Yeah, exactly. And I think or onto the other. I hard think that's drive. a big part of the whole John Wallace saga thing too, where we're you know doing the Linus scans or whatever, and you know the conclusion is just, man, if you want to be not, if you want to be secure, you just air gap the thing, take it off the internet. <laughs> yeah, you can just uh, take the hard drive and you know run it through a VM. You could do that too. Yeah, it could, but, you know, because I've got the IC dock and I've got the ability to have multiple drives in this machine, I'll just have it and I can boot into it whenever I want. Oh, yeah. Use that bit of software and then go back into the Even other. better. I'll, I'll, disa- I'll disable the Ethernet port and the Wi-Fi port and uh, so it won't connect to the Internet. Well, I know I'm a little late to this whole thing, but uh, I wonder how many of those older Linux Mint installs are, like, people that have, like, put somebody on Linux Mint and just kind of, like, left them to their own device. Right. I, I don't know. Because I don't know if you mentioned this or not. I was gone for a second there. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't... I kind of wonder. That That is that is a extremely salient point. That is important. Because how long has Linux Mint been the go-to to give to people that don't know how to computer? It's been pervasive. As far as a first step and as far as a computer that I want to give you that I never want to have to service or anything like that, right? So this might nag those people into calling the person that gave them the thing in the first place and just maybe get them upgraded to 20 and they don't have to think about it again for five more years. Well, now I While think- we're on the subject, Linux Mint 18 goes end of life next month. Oh, already? I feel targeted, Leo, because I actually set my dad up on uh, Linux Mint 19.1, but actually I haven't bothered to go back and update him at all in the last couple of years. Well, see, that that is not necessarily that bad because he's still on a supported Ubuntu base and he's still he can still get updates, but you don't necessarily have to <laughs> upgrade to 19.2 or 3 or whatever comes beyond that, I guess, um, or even 20 for a long time. No, but it's a, you made a good point, and I probably should show him how to do it so that way when the time does come, he's not relying on me or, or my memory to do it for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just write not a, a, little, bad idea. Uh, a, a little instruction guide, because it's not that bad um, for to upgrade Linux Mint to the next version. No, it's, it's easy. The, the point releases are, are really simple, and, and even when it comes time for a major release, he, he doesn't really have a whole lot in the way of... Uh, anything more than just kind of default settings and probably not even any personal documents on his computer. So it should be a pretty, pretty straightforward thing to take care of for him. It just, I, I think it would be better if I, if I showed him how to do it first. Yeah. yeah. I mean, once, once you've run through one of those upgrades, they're all the same. I mean, they all feel the same. And uh, Linux Mint does a great job on the point upgrades of walking you through everything. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why even someone that would consider themselves... Uh, you know, not good with computer, uh, that they would still be able to get through the point releases. Now, the major releases, eh, it's a little more touchy. You, a lot of times you do have to go into the terminal to, to make a change or two um, as, uh, what, 19 to 20, I think? Or maybe it was 20 to 20.1. You know what? Uh, I don't remember, so I'll stop talking. 19 to 20, <laughs> you, had to, you had to go into the terminal. Okay, all right. Yeah, and so, I mean, those are a little more difficult, but... Um, you know, that's, that's if, if I do that for anybody, I'll just tell them to install TeamViewer and I'll install TeamViewer and then I'll just, I'll do it real quick. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Just to say Moss was right. I'm just looking at the Mint page and it says uh, 18, uh, 18 is end of life for April 2021. Yep. 18 so, and all 18-point releases. Yeah. My yeah. guess will be it, that if there's anybody going to be getting nagged here pretty soon, it's you, whatever you're on, Linux Mint 18. 
if that's it for the update thing, anybody, any other, any other comments, any, uh, anything else? Uh, the only comment I can say is there was one guy who mentioned that like Linux Mint before would always rate each, um, each update severe or whatever could break the system or whatever like that. And I thought, I thought that was kind of funny that they mentioned that because now it's like they're doing the opposite where it's like, uh, everything's good. Just install it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they've learned from that mistake. I mean, uh, you know, even, even when Clem was writing about why he was doing stuff like that, um, you know, you look back on it now and you can see why that was, uh, right. that was a mistake and that's why they've changed. That's why in 19, it, I think 17 for sure had that rating system where it would, it would quite literally skip kernels. Um, and yeah. then I think 18 is when we got the regular where, you know, updates are just updates and then 19 and 20. I would kind of consider it unstable, right? If you downloaded it and one percent of your user base now has issues with that particular kernel, that, that's that's an issue. And I can totally see why he would rate that as a, I think it was a five or something like that, where it was it was dangerous to apply this or whatever. It was like red too. Yeah, because his his main focus was stability and not necessarily security. But yeah, as, as I said, look at Linux Mint now. He's realized that was a mistake. So. Know where we've come and know where, where the stance is now because arguing that is kind of, uh, it's old hat now. It's, it doesn't it's, matter what was, it matters yeah. what is. If you look at it, he didn't change the rating system. He just stopped having it apply to anything. Oh, there's still ratings in there? Oh, yeah. Really? How do you but, get that? It, it's that. just right there on your, well, it's on mine anyhow. No. I still see you know, uh, This uh, there's a different icon for... Now, there's the yellow exclamation point, and there's the red stop sign, but they, they don't do anything anymore. Oh, okay. That must be a mate thing, because in Cinnamon, I see a little yeah. up arrow for software update, a globe for uh, third-party stuff, like PPA stuff, and then I forget what the icon is. I don't have any security updates right now, but there's an there's icon like a for that, too. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's a shield. That's right. Um, and then a lightning bolt for the kernel. Right. Oh. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So, so there's still, I mean, they're differentiated somehow. But yeah, I mean, by default, everything is selected and you just do everything. And I think that's the right way. That, that, I mean, unfortunately, there will be bugs, but that is the right way to handle it because, you know, very few people ever run into really, into really game-breaking issues. But still, I mean, it happens. I just run all the updates yeah. and I've never had any issues. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Yep, same here. I even went through, you know, I, I have I have custom, oh, not custom, it's uh, Keysax Mesa, which is basically following uh, GitHub, and uh, I have kernels, like weird kernels uh, installed yep. on here. So I do too. Yeah, and I just, I update no them, whatever, just whenever they go. I am, I was always a little wary about the Mesa, but I mean, and that has nothing to do with Linux Mint, that's a, it's a PPA. Even with stuff like that, I've not had any issues. Anyway, real quick, the other stuff in this uh, article is basically bug fixes. XApp, Warpinator, Nemo, Cinnamon Menus, Nemo Dropbox, Nemo Media Columns, Nemo Python, they all had a significant number of changes over these past couple of weeks. Uh, there were some memory uh, memory leaks, um, things would just straight break, bold fonts weren't bold, things like that. So uh, lots of and cleanup. And a new point release for Hypnotics. Oh, that's right, yeah. Hypnotics which is not a well. newsletter, but there's a right. new point release on Hypnotics. And what did we say uh, that actually was? Did I upgrade it? Oh, here it is. Uh, we said that it was... Added keywords to the desktop file and fixed navigation to the edit page. So just small things to make things better, I think. And that's, that's fantastic to see. All that software still getting worked on. I think that's great. Uh, Clem also mentions an issue between Linux Mint 20 and 20.1 that had to do with the NVIDIA driver. So uh, 
if you were on an NVIDIA card and you upgraded from 20 to 20.1 uh, and you were uh, booted to a black screen or something like that, he goes into why that happened. It was a tech, it, it, it's a technical description. Basically, when you do the user merge thing, um, things tend to break because there are some, uh, essentially some shortcuts that just don't work, that, that are supposed to work, but they don't work. And it, it really boils down to Ubuntu not being uh, reproducible. That ended up causing a whole lot of headache. They've gone in and fixed it, but, I mean, the idea is that, yeah, because things weren't reproducible, they, they actually, it just went right over everybody's head. Some Cinnamon improvements. Uh, so it looks like uh, Cinnamon relies on uh, GPU drivers and uses a lot of RAM uh, sped up with NVIDIA. So that is uh, nice to see. And I think that's, uh, that's about it. So yeah, Cinnamon should be running a little bit faster on just about every hardware and running a little bit more stable on NVIDIA hardware specifically. So always good to see. All right. So next up, Steam Link. Steam Link. What's a Steam Link? Steam Link is um, the software that was originally released for the Raspberry Pi so that you could use it like the Steam Link hardware that you could buy from Steam. They stopped selling it, what, two years ago? Yes, sadly. And they don't sell the controller either. I love that controller right. because it's a mouse and a touchpad and a clicker and a, uh, you, can, you can set it up to do keyboard stuff too. I love that controller. When they stopped selling the Steam Link itself, um, uh, they did a massive sale. I think I got one for like 10, 15 bucks. They, they were down. The very last batch was sold for $5 free shipping. Yeah. Yeah. And I bought, I bought one and I do have one of those. It just doesn't come out of the drawer very often. I tested it out. That was about it. Oh, and I did the fix so that you could, um, what, install Plex on it. What? Hold and on. What? They actually came out where with the Steam Link hardware, you can install Plex on Whoa. it. So I did that too. That's cool. And, and I, I use that for a little bit, but I have computers hooked up to all my TVs anyway, for some crazy reason. So I don't really need it. But I also tested out this uh, Steam Link app, which is now available across, you know, all of Linux. And you can install it direct, the flat pack directly from the um, app store. So I did that. Yep. I, I think that's, that's super important. So for those of you on Linux Mint, just pop open the software manager, search for Steam space link, and there it is. Just install it and you'll be able to, you know, play games remotely from your Windows box if you've got one of those to play games on. Yeah. And it's good for games that aren't available on Proton yet or don't play well on Proton yet. And um, I, I did install it. Uh, and then yesterday when we were discussing what we were going to do on the show, I did turn it on and run it just to see how it ran. Now, at first, I was pretty impressed with it. I mean, the quality just from, like, you know, starting up the game was very good. It looked great. Very crisp, a lot better than running it running Borderlands three natively, which has some issues with Vulcan on my machine for some reason. I tried playing for a little while, and the more I played, the more I noticed a, a little bit of control lag. Like I would try to shift to aim, and that's a very you know snap this direction, get on target, point and shoot game. And so that being a little laggy made it a little bit more difficult. And then anytime there was a lot of action, a lot of movement. It would get not necessarily jittery, but the quality would go down overall. And Steam Link will automatically test your connection to see how fast it is. And 
I believe it said that there was a 55 Mbps connection between the computer in my garage and the computer where Borderlands 3 was running. So I should not have had any problems streaming from one to the other. Yeah, it, it got very pixelated, very blocky, and then sometimes it would get a little bit jittery. It's still usable, but it's not something that I would recommend. Yeah, I think uh, my biggest thing is like uh, the the laptop that I've got that I run on most of the time just does not do games. I mean, it's it's Intel only. So being able to do this is pretty fantastic. And I mean, obviously I have Mint on it. Uh, so it's nice that it's available in flat, pa- flat pack and flat pack is available in mint out of the box. So all I got to do is just Steam link, enter, install, done. I guess it would be better for a um, either a lower resolution game or something with a little bit less action. Yeah. But then most of those would probably run a whole lot easier through Proton. Yeah. Well, I wonder... So, so I've been playing Path of Exile lately, and in Linux, it's great until the screen gets, you know, full of just zombies and stuff. Uh, it will really start to choke up right about there. Uh, on Windows, it doesn't. So I'm, I'm, I think that's going to be what I test. It is action-packed, that game. Um, it is very twitchy. Like, if you miss something, uh, you'll, you're, you're dead. <laughs> You've got to Get be, a better processor. I bet you it'll fix it. Uh, you know, honestly, that's, that's something that I need to do. Uh, and I'm looking at the 5800X as well. I'm just not ready to spend the money on it yet. This is going to give me the opportunity to try it out. Uh, you know, run run the game on Windows, Steam link it to my my Linux laptop, and just see what kind of performance I get out of it. Um, and I mean, if I die, I'm, I'm bad at the game already, so I die all the time. But uh, yeah, if my percentage of deaths per minute go up, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll probably not continue playing it like that. If you want me to try it to see if the processor um, fixes anything, because I have a really low-end graphics card, so it would probably be a good test if you wanted me. Yeah, go for it. Um, it's it's really simple to do. I think you just got to get on the newest Proton and install Path of Exile, and then when you're in there, uh, the settings let you change the renderer from DirectX to Vulkan. That's really all you got to do, and it, it runs pretty amazing. So I guess you'd probably get to like level 30, level 40, when the rooms start to fill up with junk. And the game is free, so I mean, you know, no cost uh, or anything like that to get started. All right, good. I'll have to uh, often install that and see if I have any uh, luck with it. There you go, and that, that's that's basically the next episode of Crowbar Colonel Panic, right? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, a lot of the, the the cool stuff about this was that um, Calabra is one of the companies that uh, is a Linux company that uh, partnered with Valve to do a lot of the uh, a lot of the heavy lifting on this one. Anyway, Magia 8. So, Moss, another Magia, uh, another bit of time carved out from Magia. Yeah, just a little bit. We don't need to talk much. I'll have more uh, Mandriva-type information in the check it out. But Magia 8 is out. It's in Plasma, Gnome, and XSCE flavors. The distro is developed by most of the original French Mandrake team, and many more members have been added to the team. Uh, there's not that much to say about it yet, except uh, tune in to next episode of Distro Hopper's Digest, and you'll hear more. Nice. So this next one is something that I'm really interested in. Uh, Mike, I hope you're stable connect- you have a stable connection for this one, because um, I, I-, I think you have a lot to say about it. I-, I think, maybe, we'll see. Brave Browser to Challenge Google, and this is in the search space. This is so cool. Uh, I came across this the other day and uh, I ran onto it, I believe, on It's FOSP. 
Yeah, Brave Browser has acquired Tailcat, and uh, they're a web search engine. Uh, and so Brave has acquired them, and they're going to actually use them to uh, rival Google. So the new search engine is going to be completely private. It won't track or profile its users. Uh, it's going to offer a paid ad-free version as well as a free version that does show ads. Uh, the ads in the free version, though, are going to be private. They're going to be those private Brave ads that you typically get uh, just by using the browsers. Uh, so the company promises that they're not going to track their users through those ads at all. The, uh, the really cool part, though, is that the Brave search engine is going to be community-driven with anonymous contributions to improve search results and page rankings. So they're not going to use any kind of a secret algorithm like uh, <coughs> Google does. Uh, so it's all going to be user-driven. Um, the release date right now hasn't, hasn't been announced, but you can go on to brave.com and sign up for early access. I am super excited about this. Um, the, one of the biggest complaints about DuckDuckGo is that it never learns, right? And so you end up with the situation where if you search for something, uh, the thing that you want may be on page two or page three. And, you know, my, my rebuttal to that, and because I use DuckDuckGo all the time and I, I can usually get whatever I want, and I'm, I'm talking like 99 times out of 100, I can get what I want on the front page by using uh, the minus symbol to uh, filter out results using a specific word using quotes to say, you know, if this phrase doesn't exist in the page that you find, then throw it out. I don't want that. I need it exactly, spelled exactly like this with this space and this whatever. So usually I can get, you know, in the first three, uh, first three clicks, I can get exactly what I want. But you're saying that uh, Brave's search engine, this Brave search is going to learn from the users and the algorithm will bubble things that are in more interesting to the top um, just because, you know, more people clicked on that than this or something like that. I think that's what that uh, sounds like. Right, and the best part is that they're not going to be tracking you while they do right. it, so it'll all be anonymous page ranking. So instead of uh, being put into a filter bubble the way other search engines love to do, there's going to be none of that. It's going to be similar to DuckDuckGo in that regard, but maybe, possibly, hopefully, just a little bit better. Yeah, and that, that's The that's interesting one of... thing here, Leo, is that we had two different articles on this because... Brave announced that they were developing their own search, and another site said Brave acquired Tailcat, which is already a web search engine, and they're just going to rebrand it. So, a uh, yeah, little it, bit of yeah, yeah. Ev everything that I've heard has been the Tailcat acquisition thing. Um, so, I, you know, honestly, I don't know. Whatever, whatever they do is going to be fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> everything that I've read, though, is it's more than just a rebranding. They're actually going to retool Tailcat right. too. So. Tailcat was doing, they, they were doing some work with the, uh, the user-weighted search results, but I think Brave is going to really kind of kick that into high gear and, and make sure it's completely private. And then, of course, they're going to they, they're add the private Brave ads to the free version as well. Yeah, I think, you know, to be, to be very honest with you, Brave and Firefox are my two favorite browsers for these things. Brave is prioritizing uh, privacy and security, and, you know, they're putting their money where their mouth is, and so is Firefox. They're doing the super cookie thing. Actually, one thing that we didn't mention is on uh, Firefox 86, um, you've got the super cookie thing where all your cookies are isolated, so there's none of this cross-site cookie sharing BS where Facebook can look into the page that you're on right now and, you know, scoop all those cookies out and track you and all that. Um, and then they also, uh, they added some picture-in-picture -picture stuff, which is kind of interesting, but um, you know, the security stuff, the privacy stuff. But if you're on Facebook stuff. on Firefox, you can run that in a container too. Exactly. But, but uh, that container still does not necessarily mess with the cookie stuff. So this is, even if you're not running the container, they're going to isolate those cookies. So, you know, the container is, a, is an add-on that you have to add. 
this is going to be for everybody. And I think that's the most important part. So I'm, I'm excited to see this. I'm, I'm extremely excited to see what Brave is going to do with this. I hope it gives regular folks that don't use like characters in their search to, to help, you know, kind of filter out what they don't want, help them get what they want on page one. So there's just one less thing to, to complain about using a non Google search. But, you know, I, I argue using Google search now is the most limiting thing in the world anymore because Google knows generally what you like to see and will throw what you want to see out the window and just show you what you like to see. So they, they put you into this never ending circle of you're going to keep finding the same things over and over and over and over and over again um, because, well, they know you, they've profiled you. And so they're going to try and put that kind of stuff in front. And sometimes it works. I mean, obviously most of the time it works. People are pretty generally pretty happy with Google search. But when you're starting to branch out into things that you've never thought about before, you know, the searches are just as good as DuckDuckGo. Oh, you're right. It's uh, Google really becomes uh, basically an echo chamber after you've used it for any significant period of time. Yep, unfortunately. But uh, people like it, man. People like hearing what they like to hear, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so the last little last minute thing that, uh, that I threw in here because I just wanted to hear Mike's opinion on it was, uh, Star Labs adds core boot support to all of their laptops. You just go out, grab the update, install it as a BIOS update, and you've got core boot availability. Does this matter to you much, Mike? Because you're the only one with the Star Labs laptop, so you're the only one affected by it. Well, I guess I was. It's a good thing I was prepared for this because I didn't even see this in the notes. Um, Woo! Yes. Yeah, I, I seriously <laughs> put it in there like right before the show. So hey. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is very important to me. Um, and I've actually been kicking the tires with Core Boot on Star Labs over the last few weeks or so. Wow. It's, it's really good. It, it started off a little shaky. Um, I had to come off of Core Boot initially and go back to AMI just because it was... Uh, I had this weird bug where every time you would uh, you'd close the lid on your laptop to suspend the machine, when you'd wake it back up, for some reason, the, the screen, the display would just stay black. It would never actually reactivate the display. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what that was, but they seem to have ironed it out with the newest releases. Uh, I think it was just this past week they updated Core Boot on Star Labs, and uh, so far, so good. I haven't, I haven't run into any issues that are game stoppers for me. Very cool. The whole thing about Core Boot is that it's open source, right? There's not, none, of the, none of the firmware that's baked into your laptop is going to be hidden from you anymore if you, if you go with Core Boot instead of staying with AMI, what it ships with. Exactly. In addition to that, it's also very, very minimal too. So they, they cut way down on the amount of code needed for a core boot, wow. uh, core boot versus something like uh, regular AM, uh, AMI. Yeah. And if you, if you ever talk to a developer that, that has an eye on security or privacy or any of that kind of thing, that's, that's one of the things that they'll tell you is that the more code that you have, the more unwieldy it gets and the harder it is to make anything secure. Right. I mean, I, that's, that's why we all love WireGuard over OpenVPN, yeah. right? Because OpenVPN is hundreds of thousands of lines of code or something like that. Yeah. Uh, versus WireGuard, which is very, very minimal. Yeah. And one of the Linux standards that I want to do here pretty soon is uh, setting up WireGuard and actually using WireGuard. So on a VPS um, or here at home, if you, if you leave and you want to connect back to your own stuff, I think WireGuard is a great solution for stuff like that. So yeah, I want to I wanna do an innards about that one of these days. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, outside of the sneaky extra article, uh, we'll head on down to the security update. So, Mike, I love that you are as uh, interested 
let's just say, right? <laughs> Insecurity as I am. Uh, so this is one that uh, that you scooped up, and that I get to I get to just kind of nod my head in the background and be like, yeah, I told you, I told you. <laughs> Yeah, I like that you use the word interested rather than paranoid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, deep down, that's what it is. But for me anyway, uh, but yeah, interested, interested. Yeah, so uh, LastPass apparently is not, not having a good, good time lately. So a uh, German researcher has found that the LastPass app, uh, LastPass app for Android contains seven trackers in it. Uh, four of those trackers are from Google for analytics and then the other three uh, trackers are a mix from uh, Apps Flyer, Mixpanel, and Segment, all of which are used for marketing and tracking across the web and domains. Somebody from LastPass came out and said that users can absolutely opt out of it. But I have two issues with that. The first is that when you're dealing with a security product, trackers and, and things of that nature should be opt-in, not opt-out. The, uh, the second issue that I have with that is the German security researcher who actually found this found that he wasn't able to opt out of this at all. So not really sure if that's maybe an update that they're planning to rush out now that they've been exposed. To, here, here's how you can opt out of all of this. But apparently as of yet, they, uh, they don't allow you to, up, uh, to opt out. Like I was saying, it's, uh, it's really not the first security issue for LastPass. Um, in 2015, they were hacked. It exposed user email addresses and some hashed passwords. Luckily, they were hashed. Uh, 2019, Google's Project Zero found that LastPass was exposing the last password used to websites, which is obviously no good either. Whoa, what? Yeah, it's probably one of the absolute last things you want from a password right. manager. I mean, I, I totally get that. I mean... What, wait, what? I don't understand why you would even, I don't know. <laughs> That's yeah. not good at all. Just, no. hey, you know, I changed the password and everything, but hey, why don't you have it anyway? What? They weren't sharing it to the domain that it belonged to. So if you were using, oh, no. they weren't leaking your Facebook password to uh, password to facebook.com. If you last used Facebook, com they would leak <gasps> that password to whatever domain you went to next. Oh, that's even worse than I thought. Whoa. Right. So that, that is your current Facebook password can be leaked to the next place that you try to log into. Am I understanding that right? That's, uh, yeah, that's what uh, Project Zero found in wow. 2019. Wow, that's insane. This is why I use Bitwarden. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Same here. Wow. That, that's crazy. And so one of the things that I noticed on this was they've got uh, one of the trackers is Mixpanel, whose, whose main claim to fame is advertising. And I could, I guess I can understand that for LastPass users that don't necessarily pay for LastPass, which you're getting, um, I've played games way too long. I don't know what the word is, nerfed. It's not nerfed in the real world. That's just a gaming thing. But like LastPass is now getting worse for free users um, in, uh, in the future. But, you know, I, I could see this. I could see this mix panel being on the free users, but it doesn't look like that's the case. If you pay for it, you're still having to deal with Mixpanel, who's an advertising company. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And the weird thing is, is I, yeah, I used LastPass uh, back in 2010 or 11 or so. And at the time, I loved them. They were great. But then uh, uh, maybe 2015, I believe it was, they were acquired by, I think, LogMeIn. And it seems like ever since they were acquired, they've, they've really kind of gone downhill since then. So I'm yeah. not too sure what's going on. Wow, listen to this. Mixpanel's privacy does not apply to end users. So you, as a person running LastPass, it refers to its customers who are, you know, uh, so LastPass would be Mixpanel's customer. They pay, you know, they pay Mixpanel to do their stuff or Mixpanel pays them. 
Yeah, so so you are not protected by any kind of privacy policy or, or anything like that. And so you, who are tracked by Mixpanel, have no right to delete your personal information from Mixpanel's servers. What? <laughs> that, what? Hang on, man. This is really crazy. And if it weren't for this uh, German security researcher, who knows if we ever would have found out about this because yeah. it didn't seem like LastPass was uh, too forthcoming with, uh, with this information. I mean, like I said, they already stated that you can opt out, but the researcher says you can't. So Right. And so I'm really, I'm really curious now uh, about Bitwarden. And Bitwarden does Bitwarden have trackers. Has two trackers. But neither one, one of One for them. Google Firebase Analytics right. and one for Microsoft Visual Studio Crash Reporting. Right. So... The normal stuff, I guess you would say, huh? And then you know, but the amount of permissions too is very different. Bitwarden doesn't need to know your phone state. It doesn't need to uh, be able to. Oh, what was the other one on LastPass? Let me see. Access fine and course location. Uh, it was uh, read external storage, and it was record audio. Those are all LastPass ones that Bitwarden doesn't need to function. And yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember allowing anything when I installed Bitwarden. Yeah. Well, I mean, same, same with on, on iPhone. I mean, you install it, you use it. That's, that's the way that it works. I don't have, um, uh, I don't let it get in between me and web pages. I still have to do the copy-paste thing if I need to do that. But uh, I mean, I, I prefer to do that because I'm, I'm, I wear a tinfoil hat. 1Password has no trackers. KeyPass has no trackers. But 1Password has seven other ways that wow. they can monitor your usage that yeah. are not trackers. So... Uh, whereas Bitwarden only has two or three of those. Right. I'm so, not remembering the term for that. Sorry. Just an interesting thing. I think, I think this is the one-two punch that LastPass needed to just lose all the people that use them for free. I mean, the, you, you're, you're getting a worse experience as a, free, as a free user of LastPass. And this has been exposed here lately that they're, I mean, they're tracking you, obviously. And, you know, if, if you needed any, any kind of push to go to a different password manager, this is it. The Bitwarden is good, but then all the self-hosted ones are also fantastic as well. Bitwarden does provide you a way to uh, move all of your things in LastPass to Bitwarden. So The word I was looking for is permissions. Oh, okay, okay. LastPass has seven trackers and 36 permissions. Wow. 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 That's a lot. (laughs) And that's just on Android. Bitwarden has two trackers and five permissions. Right. And so to put this in the context, this is just the Android app. So if you use it on Android, this is what we're really talking about. But, I mean, the fact that we talk about LastPass and password management and Bitwarden and all these things in general, it, it really does make a good, uh, a good talking point for us to talk about in the security update because, wow, that, it's just, wow. I don't know. I don't know what else to say other than, wow, it did not ever strike me that LastPass would be doing something like that. And they're the biggest one. So maybe just at least consider moving to something else. Any other comments on LastPass? Don't use Pass it. it on. Ooh. Bye. Yeah, yeah, this is my last pass for last pass. I'm out. All right. Well, that'll do it for the show. Our next episode will be at 2 p.m. Central U.S. time on uh, March 21st, 2021. And uh, we've got a link for you and everybody else uh, to get that converted to your own time zone so you don't have to rack your brain with horrible, horrible time zone math. So, Joe, where can we find more of you outside of the show? 
Well, you can catch me on a couple other shows. I'm on the uh, Linux Link Tech Show. That's www.tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast. We just recorded this last Friday. www.linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe, or you can send me a message, jb at mincast.org. And Bo's not here, but uh, you've got uh, the Undercast Collective on YouTube. We've got a link in the show notes. Um, and also Crowbar Kernel Panic, which Josh will likely shout out too. So, Moss, what about you? Check your show notes. Everything is linked. We've got It's Moss. We've got MeWe. We've got several blogs. We've got music on Bandcamp and on various YouTube channels. I'm at Zyvala at hosttux.social on Mastodon. Zyvala at protonmail.ch and sponsors. And I am really grateful for my sponsors. Yay. And Tony Hughes had to cut out, not feeling amazing today, but you can get him on HPR with host ID 338. He occasionally blogs at tony-hughes.blogspot.com. Get him on Twitter at TonyH1212 or th at mincast.org or distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. Tony Watts, tw at mincast.org or just search up Echoes of Savages. Josh, what about you? You can email me at joshontech at mintcast.org, and you can find me on most most social sites at joshontech, and uh, now you can find Crowbar Kernel Panic on Spotify, at least, hopefully soon to be on every podcatcher, and at the uh, website, uh, crowbarkernelpanic at firesite.fm. Nice. The uh, So I, I looked into it. You have to check the box. Um you, you have to go into Fireside and basically tell it, yeah, I want it to post to these particular services. I'll have to mention that to Bo. Cool. Mike, what about you? You can email me at grouchym at pm.me or hit me up on uh, Discord at grouchym. I'm always bored during work and looking to chat, so feel free. Hey, hey, and he's special and green now, so he gets all the cool stuff. Yay. <laughs> As for me, leochavez.org and at leochavez on Twitter. Uh, Leo at mincast.org if you need to email me. LinuxUserspace.show for my other show, Full Circle Weekly News for my other, other show. And if you want to support me, you can buy me a coffee. But before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for our audio editing. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website. Hobstar for our logo. And Londoner for our time sync and all of the links that we get most of the time. Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org in our Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. HPR for our backup mumble room, and of course, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love talking about every fortnight. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. And go. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Mint. to arm before next show. You only have two arm, of them, though. Not arm. Arch. Oh, arch. Oh, ew. Really? I'm going to convert them all to arch, arch for okay. the next show.
right. Well, good luck with that. All of them. I mean, what's, uh, what? Yeah. Good well, luck how many with machines that. is that? That's one, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven machines to arch before the next show. Eight. Eight machines. Okay. Call me a skeptic, but good luck. <laughs> Probably won't be pure arch. Probably won't be pure arch. 